This is a photo of the columbarium area here at Faith. It's just outside these windows on the northeast part of our property. If you are seated way in that back corner of the sanctuary, you may have a view of it. The most popular niches in the columbaria are on the side with a view of the sandias. (laughs) Apparently a mountain view is important. That always makes me smile. (laughs) I want to tell you a story today about another columbarium in a different church. This one's in the small town of Elk Rapids, Michigan, in a lovely old church built in the 1800s. Here's that beautiful white clabbered church with a gorgeous bell tower of decorative tracery. Here in Elk Rapids, the columbarium is inside the building in a special chapel just off the altar area. In that church, a series of wood-framed niches make up the columbarium, and it's there that my father-in-law, Bud Hassard, is interred. Bud died just a few weeks after the big celebration of his 90th birthday. When the family gathered again at this pretty church for the funeral service, it was with many memories. One of Bud's daughters collected the great family memories into a wonderful eulogy. Bud had a sharp wit, and so there were both laughter and tears as the stories were told. The friends attending the funeral had a chance to come forward to tell their stories, too. A touching moment came when a woman in her 30s stepped up to speak. Her special memory of Bud came from when she was a child at that church. Here's what the young woman remembered. Bud kept a pocket full of quarters on Sunday mornings. He had the kids in the congregation trained on the special routine required to earn a quarter. This is what he had them do. They needed to run up to him, snapping to attention, and then in a firm voice repeat, All hail Hazard the Magnificent. (laughs) They loved it, and every week they earned a quarter too. Even as an adult, this now grown woman remembered Bud and the good times in this little church. It was important enough to her to attend the funeral of an old man she had not seen in many years. After the funeral service, we went to the church basement, of course, for a meal and more memories. Later, while everyone else was still down in the basement, I went back up to the sanctuary. I wanted to see the columbarium niche where Bud's urn would be placed. His dear wife, Jane, was already interred there, and I wanted to visit her spot, too. I quickly found Jane's niche, and right next to it, Bud's name had already been affixed to another. There was a narrow shelf below the niches. On the shelf sat a quarter. The things we do and say to each other matter. Our words and actions are a legacy of our faith. They speak to the generations who follow us as well. 
Do your words and actions here at church speak to others in joyous witness of the love of Christ? What legacy will you leave? Let me tell you another story. Last spring, I hosted a faith tour of England for 26 of our members and friends. We visited many churches, and this one in the northern England town of Durham was one of my favorites. There's a sculpture here that moved me, so I took a photo of it. Here it is. The man is Shute Barrington, who served this congregation in Durham for 35 years. While the sculpture is exquisite, it was the inscription below it that was particularly stirring. That inscription told how he'd been a priest in the Protestant Church of England for 57 years. Just think how many times he preached on God's word. During those many years of service, his generous nature and faithful witness were noted. The last line of the inscription read, He being dead, yet still he speaketh. Barrington left a legacy, a legacy of faith. His words and actions live on. He speaks even though his earthly life has passed because of the generations he touched. Even though he died in the 1800s, people to whom he witnessed became witnesses themselves. His legacy still touches lives through the faithful who have come after him. At funerals, I frequently talk about the communion of saints, This is a belief of the Christian church that we declare every time we say the Apostles' Creed. We live out our faith in community with our fellow believers. We grow in faith together, and we draw near to one another as fellow believers in the same Lord. We witness to each other. We lean on one another in the hard times, and we celebrate together. There is the earthly church of this age, and there is the eternal church in heaven. However, these are not two churches, but one church. Just as the Lord who calls us all is the Lord of all the saints, both the living in this world and those who have already gone to glory. We will soon say together the words of the Apostles' Creed. As you say, I believe in the communion of saints. You acknowledge that you worship with the faithful of all ages. As you pray and you sing to the glory of the Almighty, you add your voice alongside theirs, all the believers who have walked before us. This is the communion we share between the living and those who have died in faith our works, how we live our lives in Christ. Do not save us. Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the faith we are given in him provide our salvation. 
Our works, however, how we live our lives in Christ, are evidence of our faith. Our works are what we are given to do in service to our Lord. What makes the life of the Christian believer different is how we act on the faith that has been given to us. In the lesson from Hebrews that I read just a few minutes ago, we are pictured as runners set for the race of life. All the living believers are gathered on the track. As we run the race, we're also surrounded by a crowd of believers who've gone before us. They are so many that this huge mass of people becomes like a cloud. They are the witnesses to the faith of ages past. They've run the race before us. And their witness, the legacy of their lives, is an example to us. As we run to the goal and as we finish our race, we join them encouraging those who come after us. So imagine yourself on the track. The race before you requires endurance. This is no quick, easy dash. But you are surrounded by the legacy and example of a great crowd of witnesses. Thousands upon thousands surround you. And we need all the help we can get in this race because it's not an easy one. And some of the hardest bits come when we are jostled by the other racers. You remember when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Peter probably thought that he was stretching things a little bit when he asked seven times. And then when Jesus surprisingly said, no, I tell you, not seven times. Peter might have breathed a sigh of relief, but just for a moment. As Jesus continued, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 490 times. Unbelievable. And the worst part was this. Peter knew Jesus wasn't saying that when you finally reach 491 times, you could get back at that person who'd wronged you. Peter probably felt frustrated. Perhaps he asked the question because he had a certain something or a certain someone on his mind. He wanted to know just how much he needed to put up with when he could get even. Maybe Peter wanted to give Andrew or Judas or Matthew a piece of his mind. And here's Jesus now telling him that he needs to forgive and run the race with faithfulness, endurance, and love. Forgiveness can be frustrating, especially when it comes to those who are closest to us. They get under our skin. In the 1800s, one philosopher observed, we humans are like a bunch of porcupines who on a cold winter's night decide to huddle together for warmth. But there's a problem. The cold drives us closer while at the same time our quills push us apart. <coughs> but others have successfully run the race before us. We know it can be done. And 
we have plenty of company on the track now, too. Ultimately, we look to Christ and the cross for inspiration. We're called to imitate the life and love of Christ. His first baby cries echoed in a stable because no one would give his parents lodging. Then the megalomaniacal King Herod tried to murder him. The religious leaders of his people plotted to take his life. His disciples deserted him. The Roman occupiers condemned and crucified him. But still, Jesus forgave. Indeed, he died so we might be forgiven. Now our risen Redeemer expects us to live faithfully, sharing his truth with others. The faithful who've walked before us now stand face to face with him. The communion of saints, all God's people in heaven and on earth, are connected and united. We believe that the great cloud of witnesses who've gone before is woven together in a tight-knit communion with those of us who still run this earthly race. We will not run this race forever. Death in this world comes to us all. What will be your legacy of faith 